You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen, amen. You can be seated if you haven't already. And please um, find a Bible and open it to uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 together, one more week in James 1 after this, Lord willing. Just before we jump into God's Word officially, I want to make you aware of, um, we had a young adult gathering, um, it's called Through the Roof, second time we've done it, this was two Fridays ago, and over 500 uh, young adults gathered from all over the place, amen, amen, it's a huge deal. Um, I, I just want you to be aware of the things that the Lord is doing in our midst, and so there was so many, um, again, 20-somethings from all over the region, really, a bunch from our church, but really hundreds from elsewhere as well, to gather, and um, so I came, I sat in the back, I don't pretend to be 20-something, okay, so make sure, I mean, they're very clear, so I'm very aware I'm not, but I sat in the very, very back, I just wanted to watch, I just wanted to be there. And as I sat there and just discerning, I just think what a wonderful evangelistic opportunity this is. And I said, Lord, imagine you set ablaze the young people in this room. Imagine the hearts. Imagine the people that would be called to serve you and to bear fruit for you. And just it's, again, Hope Church, I just want you to be aware and to be encouraged. God is doing many things. He's entrusted us. We have a stewardship. It's humbling, but it's also very, very encouraging. It's worthy of our attention, our prayer, our support, again, of another ministry. The next one's going to be in June, and we're just praying that God will continue to use. So thankful for our leaders that are overseeing this ministry and how blessed we are to be a part of it. So praise the Lord for that. And so now we jump into James uh, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 21 today. Um, but to start here today, I just want to define um, what is a crash course. Get your attention there a little bit. A crash course. On the screen for you, a crash course defined by Britannica and Cambridge is a class in which a lot of information is taught in a very short period of time. Uh, another definition, very similar, um, a course that teaches you a lot of basic facts in a very short Again, time. A crash course. A crash course. You could argue that is exactly what the book of James is. It is a crash course in so many different areas. Uh, James is firing through these massively important subjects. And each paragraph is just packed with imperatives and wisdom and also doctrine as well. And our paragraph today is no exception. It's just loaded, it is there, and it's gonna provide for us this today, a crash course on character. Today we receive a crash course on character. Now I just love James, I've said this already in this series, he pulls no punches, he's incredibly succinct, he's willing to press on the key nerves that we don't always like, but we need, And he packs, again, this letter here with life-changing wisdom. And today, again, again, in some ways the entire letter, but today he goes specifically for character. Um, He desires to see life change. Why? Why is James concerned with this? James understands knowledge is not good enough. To have a knowledge about God is not enough. You have to have a knowledge of God to actually know him personally. The whole theme, really, of the book of James is, if your faith is real, show it with your feet walking in fruitfulness of Jesus Christ. This is why he cares so much about character. Our context of our passage is verse 18. 
Look at verse 18. You see there, God brought us forth, those saved in Christ, if you're genuinely saved, he brought us forth by the word of his truth that we need to be a kind of first fruits in his notice, creatures. What does Jesus do? Every baptism today testifies they became a new creation because of Jesus Christ and his salvation and the Holy Spirit entering their lives. So what happens is, if you're genuinely, listen carefully, this is, this is for some here already. If you're genuinely saved in Christ, theology, the Bible tells us, you become a new creature. And if you are a new creature, you must begin to bear new fruit. This is why Jesus said, you shall prove to be my disciples as you bear much fruit, right? So if someone's brought from death to life, they're not brought to life to sit there dormant. No, they bear fruit because that's what God has saved them towards. That's Christ in them. That's the Holy Spirit bearing fruit through them. And one of the greatest tests or indicators of true fruitfulness is character. It's the character that God is changing within our everyday lives. So specifically today, here's what the Bible is teaching, the Bible is going after today. We will see our character in terms of how we listen. We will see changes in how we use our speech. The big one today, we will see our character impacted by how we deal with anger. We will see our character and whether or not we have hatred for sin in us and around us. We will see character in how we respond to the Bible, which is used to save our souls, the text says. So another exciting day in the book of James. James 1 verse 19, notice. He says this, Know this, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, because of this reality, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, wow, and receive with meekness the implanted word, the gospel, the scriptures, the Bible, notice, which is able to save your souls. So indeed, today, a crash course on character. Let us begin. Know this. Know this, James says. When it comes to your character, number one, number one, we must have, we must have open ears, careful tongues, and restrained or self-controlled anger. Open ears, careful tongues, restrained anger. So verse 19, notice right away, James's clarity and certainty. He says, know this. Not a lot of ambiguity here. Know this. This is clear. He says, my beloved brothers. Notice here's his affection again. I want you to see, again, loved ones here today, the affection of James compels him to truth. Because I love you, I will speak this truth to you. If I did not love you, I would not give you a crash course on character. And then he says this in verse 19, notice, let every person, let every person. So not just a few pastors, not just a couple of key leaders. Let every person know this. 
okay? Every person, so you're here right now, you're here sitting in this room, you're in overflow right now, you're listening online, whatever it might be, every single person here right now, the Holy Spirit has a word for you. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you personally. The Holy Spirit in love is coming after you right now. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. It's one of his main roles that he does. And the Holy Spirit's gonna shower you with the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ today as well. So three commands are initially given. They're all life-changing. They're all very convicting and have strong application. Let's take them one at a time here in verse uh, 19. He says this, okay? Ready? He says, be quick to hear. Know this, be quick to hear. It's interesting to note that in the first century, uh, listening was especially important. Why? Why? Well, because books, as you can imagine, were quite rare. Certainly not like our day today. It was, it was mostly an oral culture, which meant then the inability to listen well sets you in a very serious spiritual disadvantage. If you were too distracted and you could not listen, especially to the things of God, in many ways you would be left behind, spiritually speaking. Hence, know this, be quick to hear. Then there's our culture, first century to 21st century, all cultures, interesting, as you look around and all the information we have around us, we become so massively visual, though, haven't we? We've become so massively oral. We have seemingly infinite amounts of information hitting us on a daily basis. So much information, yet so little transformation in our lives and around us, too. Consider, consider the importance of listening, biblically speaking. I was just, my eyes were open to how many scriptures spoke about the discipline of listening. Just, just a couple examples here. The author of Hebrews, he complains and challenges his audience in the book of Hebrews that they were not growing spiritually. Why? He labels it as because you have become dull of hearing. They did not listen. They were distracted. They weren't growing. They weren't learning. Jesus, when he's teaching the power of the parables, which in some ways were shouted in mystery, he stands up and declares, he who has ears, let him hear. The separation of those who truly listen and are quick to hear and those who do not. It was Paul, again, regarding the, the, the beauty of true salvation in, in Romans 10. He says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing, he says, the word of Christ. Our context for this imperative of quick to hear is sandwiched between two exhortations in verse 18 and verse 21. Both point to the word of truth. If you look at verse 18 again, right? This is our, the sandwich of our context here. He says that we have been brought forth, made alive, given new birth by what? By the word of truth, the Bible, the gospel, the scriptures, the message of Jesus. Be quick to hear. And then verse 21, notice that we are, and we'll get there in a second, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So again, our context, the sandwich of the word of truth, the word of God. So, so this, this again, many people here from many different situations. The greatest application of listening in our lives applies to the Bible applies to the truth of the gospel, which is used and the only message that can truly change our lives forever. 
Now, this is a tremendously important point right now because we are currently living in a devastating time of mass video and seemingly endless entertainment. Many people are entertaining themselves all the way to death. Think of all the streaming services that are being offered in our day. Here's a sample. These are just a sample. There's dozens and dozens more, which in itself is mind-blowing. I want to ask you this too. Okay? Here's a sample of the most popular streaming services. How many of these are you currently subscribed to? Okay, If it's three or more, I think you need to come up to the front and just get down and repent right now, okay? I just, I, just, I just think that there's a problem there that we need to address because with every subscription we know indicates time, affection, distraction, idolatry, endless entertainment, which almost always shuts out the very voice of God. Uh, on top of that, too, they say, how many subscriptions do you have that are listed here? And again, there's many, many more we could put on here. Just the money spent on that as well. And only people, they, they have three, four, five subscriptions and they're not giving to the kingdom. Like there's something wrong there. Like there's such an upside down understanding of what actually matters in life, right? So it's not sinful to subscribe to certain things like this, but if your heart and life is set upon it, then it is sinful, if this is all you're doing, there is a problem. These subscriptions, but here's the question, but are we subscribed most importantly to the word of God? This is what it really comes to, because this is the only thing that can actually result in true life change and eternal life. This is the only message that points us to Jesus Christ. Are we quick to hear? Are we quick to listen? No wonder, eh? Like, no wonder in our day, no wonder our God time, our devotional time is so distracted. No wonder our prayer lives are so diminished because it's our inability to listen will damage our devotion. So, so James says here, he's like, listen, hurry up and listen. That's what he's saying. Be quick to hear. Hurry up and listen. Why? Don't waste time. One life. Do not spend it in front of the screen your entire life doing nothing. Hurry up. Hurry up and listen. Listen to the Lord. Listen to Christ. Listen to the word. Listen to the message that changes lives. Listen to the one who speaks truth. Listen to the one who forgives. Listen to the God of love and mercy and grace. Listen, listen, hurry up. Hurry up and listen before it's too late. And of course, quick to hear is so closely related to the next imperative, which is slow to speak. Slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Really, really good wisdom for us today. But let's be honest here too. Most of us live as these commands are in reverse. Most of us, slow to listen, quick to speak. By the way, the Bible has a ton to say about those with a rash tongue and with reckless speech. Like a ton to say about the words that we use. Apparently it was a guy named Zeno, an ancient philosopher. He said this, this is, this, this is wisdom. He says, we have two ears and one mouth. Therefore, we should listen twice as much as we speak. That's good, that's good. You've already noticed the way we're created to. Our ears are perpetually open. Our tongues are guarded by a shield of teeth and lips that shut. That's inherently God created us in such a way we are to listen more then we speak. Proverbs 18, 
two on the screen for you. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. But there's so many proverbs on speech, man. It's amazing. But only in expressing his or her opinion. Another kind of colloquial saying, which is you know, rooted in scriptural principles too, is this. You will win more friends with your ears than with your mouth. That's interesting to ponder on. Character, listen, character is profoundly revealed by the words that we choose and use. So how do you know that? Well, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, finish it for me. Yes, the mouth speaks. So, so the words that come out from on us reveal the heart within us. It is very, very critical and crucial with the words that we use revealing what's actually inside More principles of wisdom, all gained from Scripture. We'll see this in a second. Abraham Lincoln, he said this, it is better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to speak out and remove all doubt. (laughs) And he got that from Scripture himself, as we'll see in just a couple of moments as well. The principles of being slow to speak. Listen, it's impossible to listen if you never stop talking. Our inability to listen to others is often an indication of our inability to listen to God. Too many people can't stop to listen to the God of the universe. And when we do often, it's like this. Okay, God, speak, but you only have 60 seconds, so make it quick. It's not how it works. And yet, those are most of our lives. You know, was it Samuel? Speak, Lord, you're... Your servant hears often, we're like, listen up, Lord, I'm about to speak. Some Proverbs on the screen. So James is called the, the Proverbs of the New Testament for good reason, and you see just the unity of this. How about some verses of Proverbs on the screen for you? Proverbs 17, 28, so to speak. Even a fool, again, there's, 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 there's dozens. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. Be slow to speak. Here's another verse. Let's put the next verse up here. Proverbs 10. When words are many, this is very good wisdom, transgression is not lacking. The more we speak impulsively and without a guarded tongue, the more we get ourselves into trouble and dig holes and and hurt people. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Next verse. Proverbs 13, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Interesting, eh? He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And one more verse here, Proverbs 29. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The Bible has so much to say. And by the way, as James goes on in chapter 3, there's a whole like section, an extended section on the tongue. And how that's used and sets like a forest fire ablaze. The amount, again, of care that the Bible wants to give us on the words that we choose. Um, Alex Moyer, a commentator, he said this on the screen for you. The great talker is rarely a great listener. Not never, but rarely. And listen to this. Never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. That's a great lead into our third command of this first point. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and then James says, and slow 
to anger. Look at now verse 20. Slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Consider how often that anger, anger causes impulsive and harmful speech. Consider how often anger is used to compound existing sin in our lives. Consider as often the anger that results in words that we instantly regret as we say them, but we cannot take them back from the hurt they have caused. Consider the anger that has created deep wounds within other people, again, from our lives. I remember early on in a premarital study in a book way back for Jill and I, and remember and learning that anger is almost always the result of one of three things. Anger almost always stems from either fear, frustration, or hurt. You think, why am I angry? Think about that too. In times where you've been angry, sinfully angry, there is a a righteous anger, but James is talking about sinful anger. Why do we get angry? Well, how about this? We, We feel fear when we start to lose control of life. We're losing control of situations. And because we're so afraid of that, the only result and reaction we know is to get angry and to cause anger to try to reestablish that, which makes us feel more secure. That happens all the time. To our great detriment. It's a, it's a, it's a fear of losing control. So we double down with force and anger to reestablish that which makes us feel more secure and devastates others around us. How about when we experience great frustration as circumstances aren't as we planned? That could be anything from sitting in traffic experiencing road rage when someone cuts you off to a teenager completely rebelling and I didn't sign up for this. And the frustration that comes out and the anger as a result because inside you're in turmoil and you don't know how to deal with it. Or how about the anger when we've been significantly hurt and because we've been so hurt, we want to hurt back. We want retribution. We want revenge. And so anger is the means to that revenge. It's amazing, isn't it, that like so many of us, maybe all, so many of us, some of our clearest memories involve pain. For some of us, we can go back decades to a moment at home or a moment in marriage or a moment, whatever it might be, and the anger of that moment, either against us or from us, and the hurt, the hurt and the wounds it caused, again, either to us or from us, And even as I say that now, there's some memories that are flooding our minds to say, man, anger is so powerful. It's so potentially harmful and devastating. And once those things happen, there can be healing, yes, but they leave scars. And the wounds result in scars. And it's often things that are not forgotten. See, the Bible knows what the Bible's talking about here. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sinful anger is that which results in Tremendous harm. It can be healed from. There can be recovery and grace. And this is what Jesus Christ came to do. But it's 
slow to anger because of what's at stake. No, behind this command, slow to anger, it's more than just the outburst. The outburst, sinfully wrong, absolutely. But it's also speaking to a slow burn of anger. There's an accumulation of frustration and anger and rage that starts to build, maybe over days, weeks, months, sometimes years, and even decades. If the anger is not dealt with, the slow burn that's inside of us, again, slow to anger, slow to anger, we must be very, very careful, very, very wise, and very, very close to Jesus. Because if we don't deal with this anger, the devastation part is the anger starts to control us from the inside. If we don't repent of the anger, come clear before God, if we don't seek his cleansing and forgiveness and get rid of the filth that anger places on us, the anger starts to dominate our hearts, our lives, our speech, and our actions, our emotions, and our direction. We become dominated by the anger and rage that has grown within us again over many, many, many periods of time in some cases. Proverbs 16, verse 32 on the screen for you. This is why, again, again, there's many verses on this. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Notice, and he who rules his spirit, self-control, is better than the individual who can conquer a city. The strength of self-control of the Spirit of God working within us that we might see anger slow, slow to anger because we understand the seriousness of what's at stake. It's interesting, Jesus, you know, just reminded us in the, in the Sermon of the Mount, he has a whole section on anger. And he says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. We're like, yeah, we get that. We get that. But he says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the same judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, attacking the reputation and character of another will be liable to the hell of fire. Not my words, Jesus' words. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Wow, the seriousness with which Jesus paints the sin of anger within each of our lives. And then in James 1, again, verse 20, and the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So here's what happens. When we get angry, sinfully speaking, we think we're accomplishing something in our eyes. We get angry to force the situation. We get angry to get our own way. We get angry to unleash hurt. We get angry to dominate someone else. We think we're making progress. In God's eyes, nothing has just happened. Nothing good anyways. There's been no progress in the eyes of God. And that's the deception of sin, and that's the deception of our flesh, and the deception of Satan, who tries to convince us otherwise. Anger, and, the, and the, one of the greatest dangers of anger that's unchecked, too, if we let it grow, it will burn into serious bitterness. Because it's bitterness that poisons. Daniel Henderson, I got this from an article he wrote, but this isn't his quote. It's referenced by many people. He says this, 
Bitterness is the poison we drink thinking it will kill the other person. Now that's wisdom. That's wisdom. And that's what's happening in that. I mean, I mean who's that for today specifically? You see, when we're bitter, we ourselves drink a poison because the bitterness defiles us more than anyone else. But we're hoping the poison we drink is going to somehow kill someone else. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And anger and bitterness and resentment, they're so closely tied, aren't they? Again, this sinful anger will never produce the holiness that God desires. Today, it's a crash course on character. It's powerful. And by the way, let me just say this too before we move on. If you want to quench the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to grieve the Holy Spirit in a hurry, let sinful anger take root. Okay, like if, 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 you want, if you want your life to diminish of affection and genuine sense of the presence of God, then just, just, just let, let, let anger come in. If we want our church to quench the Holy Spirit in a second, let's let, let's let a whole bunch of us start to be bitter and fill with resentment and to, you know, to pry at each other and to bite each other and devour one another. That's one of the best ways we can see the Holy Spirit kind of become mute in our midst. But where there's healing and forgiveness and humility and repentance and confession and meekness and contrition, then the, the Spirit of God floods that environment, floods that marriage, floods that family, floods that small group, floods that elder board, floods those pastors, floods that church. Because the Spirit of God dwells among those who are lowly and contrite in spirit and who tremble, tremble at his word. So we must have open ears, Careful tongues and restrained anger. This takes us, I spent more time in point one, I think for obvious reasons. Now I'm going to move a little more quickly through point two and three. But notice number two then, because of this, we must trash our sin. We must trash our sin. Where do you get that from? Verse 21. Look at, therefore, see, because the anger of man does not produce God's righteousness or holiness, therefore, trash your sin. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Wow, the therefore is very important here. Because sinful anger is so damaging, trash the sin. Put it away. The clarity of scripture here, eh? What does sin do to us? Notice from this one verse, one half verse here, sin makes us filthy and excessively dirty. Sin stains and muddies our souls. Sin places, places a gross grime of defilement upon our hearts. Not my words, it's the words right here. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. So this is why each day we gotta take a cleansing spiritual shower to discard our sinful, disgusting clothes that are filthy and trash them. Sin's never good, man. Your flesh tries to put a spin on it. The devil tries to put a spin on it every day. Our world is all over the place trying to put a spin on it. Here's the reality of sin. Sin is the devil's vomit. Sin is the soul's excrement. This is why David, after his sin with Bathsheba and adultery and the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah, he is broken, he is confronted. Psalm 51 is one of the greatest psalms of confession and cleansing. God against you and you only have I sinned. 
I've done what is evil in your sight. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. God created me a clean heart. I need to be cleansed. Cleanse me of the filth. Wash me from that which has put grime all over, stained my heart. Wash, you're the only one who can wash me, God. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We must be cleansed from that which causes filth within our lives. Jesus Christ came to do that. He's the only one who can, and there's no sin he cannot forgive, and there's no one too far from him. He is the master cleanser. When someone genuinely pursues him and seeks him, you will be forgiven, and you will be cleansed. That we would have then pliable hearts, what? To see our sin and detest the filth that it creates. You know one of the greatest signs of true revival? True revival, when revival is happening by the Spirit of God, people start Stop blaming one another. When God is truly at work in revival, there's a, there's a sense of the holiness of God. And when there's a holiness of God, like Peter in the boat in Luke 5, and the catch of fish, and whatever happened there, he sees Jesus Christ in his glory. He falls down, says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He just sees the glory of Christ, and all he sees at that point is his sinfulness. He's in massive trouble. He needs to be cleansed. When God's spirit is genuinely working, there's not like it's her fault or his fault. No, no, no. The only thing you see is the glory of God and the stain of your own sin and the massive desire to be made right before God because in true work of God, here's what happens. Here's what you say and I say, I'm the problem, God. Not you, not you, not you. I'm the problem. I'm the one who needs to be cleansed. You think of all the situations in churches too, man, over the course of years and centuries, there's so much infighting. There's so much blame and accusation. Churches split and fall apart because all people are doing is screaming at each other and, and spreading this venom of hatred and accusation. It's awful. It's the antithesis of what God wants. It's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. But when God is truly working, you want to put away your own filthiness and rampant wickedness because you want nothing to stand in the way of God's work upon your life and your heart. We must trash our sin. This is intimately connected with point three now. We must humbly receive the life-changing word. Look at verse 21 again. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, notice, notice this, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So watch this, do you ready? Trash the sin, embrace the word. See that? Trash the sin, get rid of the filthy clothes, and now embrace, receive with humility the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Isn't that interesting? The implanted word. So if you're saved in Christ, in this sense, the gospel is implanted within me and you. We have the gospel. Those being baptized today, that's what they're testifying to. I am a new creation. The, the, the word of the, of the gospel is, is in my life. I'm bearing fruit now. I'm not perfect yet, but it's changing me. It's implanted within me. It wasn't before, now it is. It's, it's, it's saved me. Do you know salvation in scripture is, has three tenses. If you're generally saying, you have been saved, conversion, Jesus Christ, you are being saved, sanctification, and you shall be saved in perfection, that's glorification, that's to come. Salvation's not just past tense. It's present and future. 
The Bible is responsible for that entire process. In fact, that you shall be able to save your souls is in the aorist infinitive, which indicates the process of salvation, again, from start to finish. By how? By the implanted word. By the gospel. By the Bible. By the scriptures. Listen, it is impossible. It is impossible to grow in Christ apart from the book. It is impossible. Even right now, what's happening? We're preaching the book. I have no message apart from this book. This book instructs us. The Holy Spirit wrote this. And he is changing our lives in the midst right now for those who receive with meekness the implanted word. So the Bible saves us past, present, and leads us to the future. But here's the difference. It will change and save those who receive it with humility. So right now today, here's our case study, here's our opportunity. Right now today, very clear exhortations, very clear commands, very clear imperatives. Very clear crash course on character. But as James is about to say the next verse next week, will you be a hearer only and not a doer? Or will you hear and do? The difference will be those who receive the word of God with meekness or humility. But here's the reality. Here's what happens over the course of time. Many or some here today will hear this message and they respond to the message with obstinance, pride, hard-heartedness, lukewarm, indifference, and being unteachable. So they will not change. They will not be transformed in character because they have heard, but they have not received with humility, which means they have not actually truly heard. But then the alternative is you're here today and the Holy Spirit graciously confronts you and convicts you about sin that he loves you so much he wants to show you that you might be changed into a better man, woman, child, whatever it is. And if you humbly receive the implanted word, then it's able to save you and to transform you again more and more into the character of Jesus Christ. So this is what happens every time we meet, whether here or small groups, whatever it might be. How will we respond to what God has so clearly said? So just by way of summary today, let's go through some application questions. Based on James 1, 19 to 21, what listening starts today in your life? What new form of listening must start today? What has the Holy Spirit said to you about what we listen to? What are we listening to? What should we be listening to? What speech stops today? What speech has this flat out been too much, too harmful, too sinful, not helpful? Too much talking, too much output, not enough input. What anger is repented of today? I just want you to take that so seriously today. I believe the Lord has graciously and gently, again, revealed for some individuals here, overflow, whatever it might be, that anger is, is an issue that is really, really taking away from what the Lord wants to do and hurting people around you. You will be forgiven. When you truly confess and repent of these sins, you will be forgiven. God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Believers, and cleanse us, cleanse us of filth, of rampant wickedness, of unrighteousness. What sin is being trashed today? 
So if where I live, Monday is just garbage day. Praise the Lord, that's tomorrow morning. Can't wait, can't wait. It's so exciting. You know how much I love garbage day? Why? It's a spiritual metaphor for me and all the time, man. You take the filth, you take the trash, you get rid of it, man. Take it to the curb. It stinks, it's dirty, it's ugly. No one wants that, okay? You trash the trash. What sin are we trashing today? Here, Sunday, it's garbage day today at Hope Bible Church. It's garbage day. Take it to the curb, man. Jesus Christ will take that trash and dispose of it for you. He will, but you gotta bring it. You gotta bring it in confession and repentance. And then lastly, what specific word from God do we receive today? What is the specific word that God has brought to you and your life today? And now what are you gonna do about it? And that's where we go next week specifically. But be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I'm thankful for the clarity of God's word and now I pray for the responsiveness of God's people. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Maybe just be still where you are right now and Holy Spirit, I believe you are speaking. I mean, how could you not in terms of the clarity of your word and the promise of scripture that you will? I pray, oh Lord, right now that you are revealing wisdom to men and women and children. I pray that you are granting life, Jesus Christ, as we've heard all day today. Jesus Christ, the one who forgives us our sins and gives us everlasting life. Lord Jesus, I pray even now as we respond to you for what we cannot do in of ourselves. We need you. We need you. I pray there will be a wonderful cry of each heart. Yes, Lord, help me in my sin. Help me in my life. Help me in my temptation. Help me, Lord, to be led by you, to speak for you, to listen as you would have me. Help me, Lord, to receive your word with humility and meekness. We pray now in Jesus' name.